Hi, my name's uh, Kim Newman, and I'm here with Alan Jones, and we're going to talk all the way through Dario Argento's Tenebrae. Um, I'm here mainly because of, I wrote the definitive uh, book on Dario Argento, Profondo Argento, of course, and the cover of which uh, sports the uh, Japanese press book artwork. So this is a particularly interesting film uh, for me. Uh, I actually think it's uh, up there with Dario's best, I have to say, in the Jello idiom. And uh, we're watching now um, the, uh, well, some lines of uh, dialogue being yeah. read out from uh, Peter Neal's new bestseller in Rome, uh, Tenebrae. Yeah. In the Italian version, that's supposed to be Dario Gento's voice. In English, I think it sounds like David Warner, but I don't think you'd hire David Warner just to say two lines at the beginning. So it may well be somebody impersonating David Warner. I also noticed that it's in English in close-up and Italian in the long shots. Yes, it is indeed. Um, because this has a very interesting uh, multilingual uh, angle. It's about American people who go to Rome. Uh, and so we have a lot of uh, switching back and forth. Uh, this is quite an important film, I think, in, in, in Dario's lineup because this is coming off the back of um, one of his sort of like rare flops, which was Inferno. I mean, most people who saw uh, his breakthrough film, Suspiria, and it was the follow-up to him, and then Inferno was the sequel. We're expecting, like, the completion of that trilogy, really, yeah. weren't we? Particularly they? because it's called Tenebrae, yes. which is set up... Um, uh, Inferno is about the mother of darkness, Marta Tenebrarum. So there was a feeling when this was announced, we were expecting mm. the film that eventually became Mother of Tears. Mm. Um, and in fact, I remember seeing this in 1983 and being slightly disappointed that it wasn't. And it took a while to, for me at least, to warm up to this uh, as an essay in his um, yellow mode <laughs> as opposed to his supernatural horror mode. Um, some people will say that this is his last great film. Um, I disagree. I'm not sure about that, but I think it's certainly one of his great films. It's, I think it's his most 1980s film, isn't mm. it? Uh, uh, to me, this is a movie that really embraces its decade, from the music, the fashions, the hairstyles. Uh, it, it takes its sort of visual cues from things like Zulavsky's Possession or um, Paul Schrader's American Gigolo. <laughs> yeah. Well, Possession, of course, was one of the uh, influences on this film, especially in the lighting design by Luciano Tovoli, who, of course, did Suspiria. Yeah, there is the irony. It's called Tenebrae Darkness, and it's actually one of the lightest <laughs> horror films ever. It spends so much time in the sun. Even the night scenes are really well lit. Yeah, well, that was actually quite the, the point of the film, to be honest with you. I mean, we're watching here, of course, star Anthony Franciosa actually at Kennedy Airport, um, about to get on yeah. a plane. Where he lives is a, is a question that he can cycle to the airport. Uh, he is doing that David Cameron thing of having somebody, you know, driving with his luggage behind him. But uh, we assume that he lives quite near the airport in order to do this, or that he's just a really macho, best-selling writer. Yes, and of course... Um, the dialogue that's read out at the beginning of the film is actually crucial to actually understanding um, the whole point of the mystery. Yeah. Um, you know, Dario does play it quite fair, I think, mm. in this. Sometimes yeah. it's a bit unsubtle. There, yeah, I will point out there are some things. It's one of those movies where it has a twist surprise ending that a lot of people didn't guess 
But when you see it again, you just groan how obvious some things are. And we'll point out some of the obvious uh, moments as we come to them. I understand that uh, Franciosa was not the first choice for this role. No, he wasn't. But, uh, you know, in typical Dario fashion, um, he always sort of aims high. You know, it's all the A-listers and then you end up with Anthony Franciosa. I do like Franciosa. No, I think he's actually, he brings something to this film that another actor wouldn't have done. He has a genuine sort of... Uh, warmth and engagement that he's very easy to get mixed up with James Franciscus who is in mm. Cat of Nine Tales or James Farentino mm. but actually you see he's a really distinctive actor I think um, many of the other sort of better known actors who were up for this would not have delivered the guts that he does. Well especially when you consider that it was Christopher Walken who mm. uh, Dario actually wanted for this role. But the thing is if it was Christopher Walken you'd know he was the killer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's true. Now, of course, uh, we'll talk about uh, Veronica Lario, who, of course, is the girl there playing Jane McCarrow, who is Peter Neal's fiance, um, later on when she sort of has a major set piece murder. But, of course, at this time, she was married to Silvio Berlusconi, and they were just about to have all the kids. So, uh, you know, this was quite an important film. Now, I have to mention the shop here. This is Anya Peroni. She's about to be shoplifting one of Peter Neal's books. Now, this is one of my favourite stores in Rome. It's actually Rinascente, and it's in the Piazza Fiume. And the reason why I love this place is because it's just around the corner from the Savoy Cinema, which is where Dario actually used to premiere quite a few of his movies. Wax Mask was one of them especially. And, of course, it's uh, very near you know, Coralina Cataldi to Sony's own Rome home. So this has got a lot of Argento connections, <laughs> this particular shop. In fact, I often thought that I'd actually do um, an Argento tour of Rome at one point, because I, I know everywhere that he filmed for every one of his movies, so I feel actually like charging and taking well, people out. Well, one of the things this film does, which is really interesting, is it doesn't show you the Rome you expect. Mm. There's no Colosseum, there's no Spanish Steps, uh, there's no Via Veneto. It's all these other bits of Rome, the slightly suburban bits, the slightly upscale, uh, cosmopolitan, almost futuristic-looking bits of Rome. Mm. Um, and I assume that's a deliberate policy. Yes, this. It is. I mean, after, I think, Inferno and Suspiria, and especially his like animal trilogy being so firmly placed in old-school Italy. He actually wanted to show that, you know, Italy wasn't just a museum piece. I mean, everyone I know who lives in Rome says it's fabulous, but you can't do anything because it is like living in the middle of the Sistine Chapel. You know, if you move, you touch something fabulously old. So I think he was. this is his way of saying Rome is a vibrant city, it is modern, it is new, and this is the way it looks. Yeah, or in the 80s at least. Yes. <laughs> because, as I say, we, we are back to the amazing 80s hairstyles and, and fashions. I think this isn't quite as eye-abusing as some 80s films because Argento has an innate taste that maybe some of the other filmmakers of the, of the period didn't have. Also, it's a very thoroughly designed film. It's the kind of film where people's clothes match the, the background. Um, and we have a lot of white walls and white clothes and pale and cream. Uh, yeah, uh, obviously, for contrast, for when the red comes in, when, when the, the deep red, the profondo rosso, uh, gets splatted on the walls or the floors or the girls, mm. uh, which happens a lot in this picture. Um, this is Anya Peroni, of course, the actress. I mean, she... Was in Inferno. She was actually the original Mother of Tears, um, as Dario explained it to me. Um, 
but uh, you know, she never actually went on. Uh, Daria made me laugh actually once. I said, "Well, are you ever going to use Anna Karani again?" She says, "Not the way she looks now." He uh, said to yeah. me, "She was in um, House by the Cemetery, yes. wasn't she?" And also, she played a vampire in Fraccia contra Dracula, uh, which is a, another film photographed by Luciano Tovoli, actually. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and she looks striking in that, and indeed hasn't worked much since. Well, the uh, reason for that is because typically of most uh, Italian actresses, they have like a two-year lifespan, and then suddenly they're snapped up <laughs> by a wealthy industrialist, and <laughs> they get married. Um, and as a result of it, she's now living in the manner to which she yes. has obviously become obviously accustomed. accustomed. Yeah. Um, oh, here we are, the tramp pouncing uh, on her. This is just so great, isn't it? Yeah, um, this is, uh, and this character is, is one of the red herrings. <laughs> yeah, um... Uh, in um, Yali, tramps are never the killer. It's always a multimillionaire. It's, it's always somebody who would have no particular reason to to, um, to gratify themselves through extracurricular murder. But um, and this does seem to be like the only poor person we see in this version of Rome. Mm. Um, and it has that he has that wonderful um, deliberately ripped and burnt clothes that no actual tramp would have. But uh, it's a good shocking shot. And this is the kind of um, apartment that shoplifters have in uh, Argento's <laughs> vision of us. It, it's supposed to be a slightly futuristic city, isn't it? Yeah, I, I've, I've tried to get him to explain that to me a bit more because when you mentioned that to me, I mean, I should point out that Tenebrae was the very first time I met Dario. Um, uh, our, our relationship began on this film because I worked for the company Video Media that actually released it in this country. And, of course, when my boss, Maureen Bartlett, told me she'd actually bought Tenebrae to, to, to release on the label, I nearly dropped dead because I was such a fan. And when Dario and uh, Daria turned up to promote the movie... I was so shocked that he'd actually knew who I was and actually had read uh, an article I'd written on him in a magazine called Cinema. So for me, um, this was like an amazing happening. And the fact that I thought the film then, I mean, if, if I can go back to the very first screening when I saw this. And I saw it with you, in fact. Yes. I mean, it was like, I thought it was generally fantastic. You know, I mean, so this this delivered everything that I wanted from a, from a Dario Argento was it, it was the Bijou in Wardour Street, it, I believe. It was <laughs> yeah. indeed. Our favourite old place. Um, uh, in, the, in the basement of uh, Hammer House. Yes, it used to be, didn't it? Do you remember? Because it used to have like that little dance floor mm, yeah. in the front of the <laughs> screening. And we all hear, that, what on earth are they doing with that? Yeah. But no, yes, we, so we, yes, God, Kim, God, we go back quite yes, a long time. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> with this film in particular. Yeah. And here's the, yeah, the, 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 black the faint of the sleazy trap and then the black love killer again. Um, Here we go. And is this uh, Argento's hands as usual? Always. Yeah, never anyone yeah. else's. Here we yeah. go. Poor old Anya, I feel quite sorry for her for this because yeah. I can imagine how Dario actually just did this. Many, cold. many takes of this. Yeah, yeah. and just shoved and yeah. she, you know, you can just see she's uh, yeah. not having a particularly good yeah. time here. Uh, well, we see a lot of actresses, indeed actors in this, not having a particularly good time. I must point out here, if you've, any of you have seen Amer, Bruno Forzani and Helene Cate's great Jallo tribute, that is one of the shots they actually use in it um, as an homage to Tenebrae, which, of course, is why he made the movie in the first place. When I watched this again last night in preparation for this and knowing that it had been uh, controversial and a video nasty, I was actually surprised at how brief some of the murders are. That is over in seconds Mm. and actually isn't as operatic or gory as, say, some of the killings in Suspiria. Mm. Uh, um, It is slightly more of a functional 
oh. picture I in that way. I mean, also it builds to much gorier things later. I think that goes to the, the fact that the why Dario decided to make this movie. I mean, again, um, he told me at the time that he was on a, a junket in uh, um, Los Angeles and he was staying at the Hilton Hotel. And for no reason, there was a drive-by shooting outside the hotel lobby. I think it was three Japanese tourists who got suddenly got shot down. And what he said to me was it just struck him that, you know, there was no reason for the murder, no motive, why do they do it? And it was like just to kill for no reason was what it was all about. And I think that brings into what you were saying about the functionality of it. You know, it's just like, okay, let's do it. You know, just, just go, and do it. go out and get it. Short, sharp shock of a murder, really. So that's what he based the film on. It's also very much informed by his, by his love of the writers Conan Doyle. In fact, we get a quote from Conan Doyle a bit later on. Wilkie Collins, he's mentioned to me in conjunction with this film. Um, he's also said Agatha Christie, which I think is one of the most uh, obvious sort of like influences on it too. Um, because because it, we think of Agatha Christie as a fussy, respectable person, we don't realise how much the, the giallo in general draws on her work, particularly Ten Little Indians, which is very much that, and The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, which is the one in which the, the leading character did it. Um, all this stuff, I assume, is essentially autobiographical, isn't it? There's the, uh, the press conference and the hard questions and the being... Um, so given a, a bad time for indulging in violence. Well, it's Mirella yes. D'Angelo's role yeah. as Tilda, the, the lesbian journalist. <laughs> this makes me laugh. She suddenly goes from being this fantastically friendly person mm. to like this complete sort of like yeah. nightmare of a questioner. And yeah. you think, hang on a minute, that's even, you know, most we're journalists, yes, even right. we wouldn't dare do yeah, that. Although we've been in press conferences where people have done that. <laughs> and, and what I like most about it, and I suspect it's because Francioso has the experience too, is his reaction is absolutely perfect. Mm. Is that, that grinning, smiling, go to the agent, please get me out of this thing. Mm. Uh, now here's John Saxon playing yeah. Bulmer as you know, yeah. Peter Neal's agent. I mean, with that silly hat yes. nonsense. Yeah. I mean, I imagine that when they first wrote this, I mean, you know, Dario was saying, "Oh, you know, let's give them a bit of business to yeah. do, and yeah. then we can actually pick it up in the murder scene when yeah. we'll see later on." But. But it is also that the American characters in this film actually have characters, where some of the Italians have looks. Mm. Yeah, they, um, they're very striking, but they don't actually have any character traits. Uh, but these two guys are going back and doing almost method acting, isn't it? Mm. They're, they're, their styles are very different. They're, they're actually going back to a, um, the sort of banter that you see you know, in 1940s pictures. Mm. Um, um, when, I in when I interviewed John Saxon on this movie, I'll always remember it, he couldn't remember a thing. <laughs> I mean... We, uh, we, when we did the documentary and I for, uh, for horror on Dario, um, we got hold of Saxon and he came along. And honestly, he had no recall about this movie at all. And I can only assume that he must have shoved it into two days yeah. and, and completely forgotten about it. Because he just, I kept saying, well, yes, but you, this happened and that happened. And, this happened. and he just was clueless. Oh, well. So there you go. That's what happens when you make lots and lots of films. It's, it's the Udo, the American Udo Kier. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, here we have uh, Daria Nicolodou, who is in effect the um, the heroine of this film, although in a very sort of strange and attenuated way. She's pushed off screen for a lot of the, the time. Mm. But because she's the last person standing at the end, she is by default our viewpoint character, when it turns out our viewpoint character has been lying all the way through. Mm. Um, she's, um, she's looking particularly good here, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean... Um, 
She wasn't supposed to play this part, um, of course. I mean, yet again, uh, Dario um, coerced her into making a, a star appearance. She was originally going to be the girl on the beach um, that we'll see in a minute in some uh, in some flashback. But uh, he asked her... I, I think what you've got to remember about Dario and Daria is at, at the time, they were very much the David and Victoria Beckham of Rome. Um, I used to say the Richard Burton and Liz Taylor these days. Who knows who they are? Um, and as a result, everything they did was a tabloid sensation. So to have her in a sort of a lesser role uh, wouldn't have worked in this. And I can just see how Salvatore, his, Dario's father, who produced this movie would say, look, you two have got to appear and, and, you know, it's got to be you two together again to make it sort of a saleable commodity around the film markets. So I can see that she was... And I think you you saying that she's actually quite blank in this, I think it's a lot to do with that. She doesn't want to do this role, and I think you can actually tell that. Because she doesn't really have a character to play. Mm. She stands around and she's there at the end. In fact, they make a whole point now about she's interchangeable with the lady police inspector, which, Mm. which again is a nice bit of setting up for the climax where they're mistaken for each other again. Mm. But it also means that it's actually quite hard to tell them apart on screen sometime. Mm. Um, I, I also love the fact that the murderer's um, sort of snapshots of his work are of actual professional still quality. <laughs> you know, he is a man who, who's printed his 8 by 10 glossies rather than gone with the Polaroids of uh, most psychopaths in films. Um, it's probably a good time to, to talk a bit about the voices we're actually hearing rather than the people we're, we're seeing. Mm. Um, well, Daria Nicolodi. The, the, the film was unusually dubbed in in London by Robert Rietti. Um, Dario's sort of dubber of choice, uh, Nick Alexander, for some reason didn't do this. I, I, there is a reason, but I can't remember. I think he might have blamed him for some of the Inferno problems. I'm not quite sure. Uh, but Teresa Russell dubbed uh, Jerry Nicolodi, uh, which is very odd considering mm. that she was on the rise as an mm. actress herself. But most of the other female voices are dubbed by um, Adrian Poster, <laughs> which is um, uh, most people of a certain age will know that she was a singer in the mm. 60s and she was a bit of a dolly bird in yeah, all those yeah. movies like Here We Go Around the Mulberry Brush yeah, and, and To Sew With Love. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but she's great. I mean, and, you know, she, you know. Yeah. And Giuliano Gemma's voice is David Graham, who was the voice of uh, Brains and Parker on Thunderbirds. And he's actually one of the most um, prolific dubbing voices. If you know the Hammer film, um, Dracula has risen from the grave. He's the priest in that and several peasants. He's somebody who came in and did foreigner voices. Uh, it, he dubs a lot of the voices in things like The Saint and The Baron and Man in Suitcase. And so it's particularly strange hearing his voice coming out of uh, Giuliano Gemma's um, face. Um, but I think that adds a certain piquancy to it. you. Now you will hear his voice everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I love Giuliano Gemma. Um, uh, his daughter, of course, Vera Gemma, was, would, would appear in um, The Card Player and with Arzia Argento in Scarlet Diva. Um, he was a sort of a spaghetti western Yeah, hero. Montgomery Wood for a while, wasn't mm. he? he was, um, a Pistol for Ringo. One of my favourite theme yeah. songs by Absolutely. Ennio Morricone. Yeah. Uh, and he he replaced re, uh, replayed that character a couple more times. He was actually in things like Ben Hur and uh, Antonio Margheriti's Battle of the World, The Leopard. 
uh, Angelique. Um, mm. But actually then has not gone on to do much in his later career after this. This is because he gets a big guest star billing in this. Well, he's now, he now, he's now a sculptor, isn't he? An um, artist, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he much mm. prefers to do that. Yeah. He probably was wealthy to begin mm. with, like a lot of these people in Italian movies. They, they mm. come from a wealthy background, so mm. they're just playing at being actors, really. And, you know, when they, oh, I've had enough, I'm going to move on and do something else. Yeah. I'll point out again that uh, you have four people in this room who seem to have colour-coded their dress. <laughs> <laughs> and there's that... The, there's a, there's a little um, throwback to the uh, the sinister phone calls from Bird with the Crystal Plumage here. Mm. Um and also with the artwork on the walls, uh, establishing a kind of cultural context, which comes back because in uh, in these films, art is often used to kill people. Mm. Well, I mean, there is a lot of thematic uh, uh, similarities between this film and Bird with the Crystal mm-hmm. Plumage. In fact, there's there's much that goes on. I mean, the, you know, the, the the flashback that hang on a minute, there's not something quite right about that. Um, chromosomal makeups. I mean, there's a lot of things going. That this is. How arbitrary is yes. that shot? <laughs> yeah. uh, and we have several more of those. I, I was wondering, there is a sort of sub-theme in this film about the way Italians drive, mm. um, which is quite funny if you've ever been to Rome, because it's one of those clichés that is true. Mm. Uh, Italians really do drive like insane maniacs. Ah, uh, uh, now here's the... Uh, we must discuss the twisty this. flashback in, yeah. in this, because you originally yeah. think this is somebody else and it actually isn't. Now here's the flashback to the, the, girl, the famous girl on the mm. beach. Um, Dario's very famous sort of like close-ups on inanimate objects as usual. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, these are obviously the aspirin that Peter Neal is using to uh, control his psychosis sometimes. But no, we're back on the beach. Now, this is the role that Daria Nicolodi was originally going to do. <laughs> and when you think that she was replaced by um, basically a transsexual, <laughs> yeah. this is Eva Robbins, original name Roberto mm-hmm. Cotti. Um, I, to me, I, when I first saw this movie, I thought this was going to be a, a major sort of like explanation in, in, in the plot because mm-hmm. I knew that she, yeah. was, uh, she was a transsexual from the word mm-hmm. go. And I thought, well, hang on a minute, mm-hmm. that must key into mm-hmm. the ending yeah. um, because it looks so obvious to yeah. me. I mean, I and don't... every other film Eva Robbins made includes uh, a revelation shot. There's a movie called Mascara, where, oh, right. uh, which is built entirely around... Um, Eva Robbins being actually a pre-operative transsexualist, mm. <laughs> a chick with uh, a dick. At the moment, um, well, recently, um, Eva was actually uh, allied to uh, one of Berlusconi's, uh, you know, political cabinet, uh, Vittorio <laughs> Scarbi, who is a well-known homophobe, <laughs> terrible, making awful comments yeah. on the on the press. And then suddenly he was discovered that he was having a liaison <laughs> with uh, Eva. So his credibility was completely shot to hell. You um, have to love Italian politics, <laughs> don't you? Um, also, I've got to say, it's amazing we have this flashback, which seems to take place in sort of Tennessee Williams country, isn't it? It's a bit of suddenly last summer going on here. Also, we later find out that this is Rhode Island. Um, but it's a Rhode Island that has kind of palm trees and tropical yeah. sunshine. This is Ostia, just outside <laughs> yeah. Rome on, 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 yeah. the, um, on the coast, because uh, he <laughs> filmed a lot of the movie at Casal Poloco, which is like uh, a new um, build area, a bit like the Milton Keynes of Rome. <laughs> I'll mention that a bit later on when we actually get to the main parts. Here we are, the red shoes. Yes. Now... 
Red Shoes, the Red Shoes, the Michael Powell film, of course, is one of Dario's all-time favourites. And he used a lot of the imagery for Suspiria. He saw the Red Shoes, I think, about four times before actually embarking on Suspiria. It was a major, major image. And one thing about um, Dario's films, as I've, I've learned over the years, is as much as uh, he does borrow from, from a lot of sources, um, we'll, we'll show a lot of that later on. Ah, Here's Tilda and her uh, lesbian girlfriend, a bisexual girlfriend, yes. we should point yeah. out here uh, at this a, point. A, a woman whose blouse seems absolutely uh, inadequate to the job of covering her nipple. <laughs> um, <laughs> again, we're, we're in... Even even the extras have this uh, amazing look. <laughs> yeah. I was amazed, actually, because at the same time she appeared in this, Mirella D'Angelo, who, um, who plays Tilda... She was actually on BBC Two, appearing in a um, How to Teach Yourself Italian language programme. So it was very odd going from that, where she'd be saying there, you know, like, grazie, molto grazie, and then to, to actually this role. Um, she disappeared after sort of appearing in a couple of Hercules movies with Luigi Cozzi. Um, but... Um, Again, you know, yeah. she was very much around yeah, at the time. Yeah, she's also in Fellini's City of Women, but I imagine every actress in Rome was. Mm. Uh, always to do with, you know, like there's, a lot, there's always a, a, a homosexual subtext going on mm -hmm. in most of Dario's films. Here it's very overt, I think. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, where mean, does this Scottish person come from, too? Yeah, I... It strikes me that one of the things that this film does is it includes lots of actors who are lookalikes for each other, and this guy is a lookalike for John Steiner, mm. um, the first of the, the killers. In fact, the first time you see this film, you do get the, the supporting characters mixed up. Mm. Um, I have to say that's one of the rare fashion disasters, I think, <laughs> that, uh, that uh, Darren Nickelodeon is wearing. Yes. The, the pyjamas with the sash. Um, I think probably not a good look, <laughs> with the matching shoes as well. Um, you can just see how yeah. she was talked into it. She's yeah. probably her own costume, actually, yeah. thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, now, here's, here's the house in Casal Poloco. Mm. Um, Casal Poloco is actually quite an interesting um, area. In, in, uh, on the outskirts of Rome because it was uh, built in the 50s um, based on a sort of a Swedish architecture design and uh, famous because, um, because it was built on swampland. It would be infested by mosquitoes at certain times of the day. And as a result, when they were filming, um, they had to sort of like close down when the mosquito invasion took place because... Uh, vans would go through the streets and sort of like spray them down it's still a problem to this day i knew lots of people who live in this area and you know they all have incredible mosquito nets outside the windows to stop it all happening um so again we're back in a fabulous house yes where tilda journalist i mean i don't know about anybody else but you know we don't live in these fantastic i have to say again many many italian journalists uh, also come from money um you know, uh, so it's entirely possible that someone would actually have a, a place like this. Here's another uh, red herring, the, uh, the scissors there, uh, to, to build her up as a possible suspect. Now, you're just about to be murdered, so what do you do? Yes, you decide to change your T-shirt. Yeah, into another identical outfit. Yeah. This, is, uh, this is actually the uh, sequence for me. This is one of the all-time top Argento sequences. I think this is actually the shot that... Yeah, made him want to make this film, isn't it? Um, Luciano Tavoli had worked on um, Antonioni's Professioni Reporter, The Passenger, 
which is the first time he'd used the, the crane that's used in this, isn't it? Because mm. actually it's also a narrative non sequitur, like so many of the great things in Argento. This does nothing for the plot. Yeah, it's not really the viewpoint of the killer, um, but this crawling around. There's also, I think, a slight reference to the opening shot of Psycho, where we go from, uh, you know, far outside and go in through the window in, in uh, Phoenix to, to find Janet Lee and John Gavin. Um, but here we have camera movement plus, of course, the, the pounding music. Now, this isn't credited to Goblin or the Goblins, unlike mm. the previous one. No, they, they were yeah. going through contractual uh, problems at the time, and as a result, because uh, Marangolo, the drummer, wasn't on this track, um, they couldn't call it Goblin right. anyway, so it's just under the three guys' names, Simonetti, Maranti and Pignatelli. Um, I love this shot. Um, um, I know people who actually, I was not on the set of this, but people who are here for this said it was just amazing to watch. And of course these days, um, people don't realise, you know, this sort of stuff's in every single film now, yeah. but back then, this was really, really something, wasn't it? Going it was very, over the very difficult and complicated to do. Uh, and they had, it was the very first film in Italy to use the Luma Crane. They had to, like, import it at heavy cost. I can imagine the conversation Salvatore and Dario had of this. No, I must have this stuff up. <laughs> yeah. I can just see those. <laughs> and I said, no, come on, just, yeah. just stay in the house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this was, this is one of the reasons why we yeah. love Argento. Mm. It's for this yeah. flamboyant. Oh, visual. absolutely. It, it's like, it, it is meaninglessly brilliant yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in the sense that so many things and I think this is a film quite often about its style mm. uh, and here we go we're going to now focus on the uh, on the murderer breaking in yeah we assume the murderer has been outside doing all this you know, clambering looking for a window I mean that may well be some some narrative justification for this shot yes. um and I love the fact that now it's recognised that this is a, an actual album that's playing. Turn the music. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, um, it, it, that reminds me of the, the, the Blazing Saddles joke where you find the, the orchestra in the desert. Yeah. Isn't it? It's, it, um... And uh, here she goes. This is where she changes it. She's being threatened, but she yeah. now decides to change her T-shirt. Yeah. And... Again, to set up one of the great images from this film that's that's. Repeated a lot. Yeah. Well, um, again, I have to say that this is a lift from um, um, another Jallo picture uh, starring Edwige Fennec called, uh, you know, Why Those Strange Drops of oh. Blood on the Body of Jennifer. Um, Edwige changes her t shirt as well. It's not quite as graphic as this, mm -hmm. but all I'm saying is that that, you know, Giuliano Carnemeo movie did make an impact mm. on Dario because yeah. he wouldn't have no, used that. The, um, the the Rita Hayworth poster for Cover Girl in the mm. corner there, which uh, it's it's silly to read too much into tiny little things like that. But Cover Girl also has a um, a structure where the sins of the previous generation are cast down. Rita Hayworth plays her own mother in the flashbacks of warped Otto Kruger's character into being a a, a loveless, manipulative old bastard. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, we, we see the narrative structure of 1940s musicals being reprised in <laughs> 1980s Gialli, which I'm sure is something that Argento would have um, been approved of, even though he probably just thought it was a really cool thing to put in the corner. Mm. Um, I also like the, uh, the use of the, the razor to break the light bulb here, mm. uh, which is a very striking image. Mm. And here she is. I mean, mm. I, like I mean, this is... Uh, this... this 
brings back to me all the problems we had on uh, the poster in this country for Tenebrae. Um, well, that's right, because that was this scene, wasn't it? This yeah. scene. Um, yeah. In Italy, this was the, uh, the image used on every single poster. And with the razor slash round her neck, um, only in the UK we had to put a red ribbon round her neck <laughs> to actually, because otherwise British uh, London Transport wouldn't run the poster on the tubes and on the buses. So it was really, really irritating that. I remember the, 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 the problems that actually caused us. We had to call, you know, call all the posters back and redo them. Um, that was a real pain. And, of course, Daria was really upset. You know, you can imagine what he was ranting on about censorship. You can just see it all. <laughs> Um, but no, I mean, he was... And uh, worse was to come when this came out on video, so... <laughs> yes, it's true. Um, although, it, it was, although it was on the Video Nasties list for a while, it wasn't a particularly well-known film as a nasty. Uh, no. Uh, and I think it came off fairly quickly as well and was available in a, in a slightly truncated form. Hmm. Ah, now here's um, now here's Lara Wendell, obviously you know, real name Daniela Barnes, by the way. And I seem to remember, I, I can't quite be sure, but I think there's a there is a Bertolucci family connection. I think she's either his niece or something. Uh, right. um, so that's one of the reasons why she would be in this. Yeah, she's her other credits are things like Killing Birds, Ghost House, and The Red Monks. But like uh, Christiane Borromeo, who she sort of partnered with in this, she's also in Fellini's Intervista, um, as indeed are several other people in this film. I assume it's either the same casting director or, again, mm. um, <laughs> you yeah. know, the, 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 yes. the likelihood. Um, uh, um, and we're back with the... Uh, the safari suit um, <laughs> kind of uh, dressing gown here, which is, is again very, very striking. Very well, stylish. She's looking, looking at the plumbing. Yes. You know, one of the least uh, believable parts yes. of the movie. <laughs> um, but um, Luciano Tovoli, yeah. I must mention this. I mean, although he had done Suspiria, when Dario asked him to sort of like, you know, encore again on this particular movie, he was terrified because he had no idea. He thought Dario was going to want something, uh, you know, as garish and as complicated as that. So I think Tovoli, in a way, is, is responsible for Dario going into that sort of pristine clarity that you get with this movie. I mean, I don't want to sort of copy Suspiria. I want to go to completely the other end of the spectrum. And I think, actually, um, it's some of his finest work here because it really does have a, have, a, have a lucidity that's quite unbelievable. And it doesn't actually look like his other films. I mean, mm. it looks like itself consistently and throughout. Uh, and there are occasional shout-outs. I mean, th we just had that moment with the, uh, the head through the, the glass, which was a little like Suspiria. Mm. But it doesn't look like Suspiria. Mm. Mm. Um, when you see the... Uh, the, the <laughs> The three-piece suite in this apartment, by the way, Dario used, he took, took it to his office. I mean, for years, I'd be sitting on, on, on the sofa waiting for him in his office in Rome. Always made me laugh that, that this is the one furniture that he actually sort of like appropriated for his own use. Most other people probably thought, oh, but no, he did. Ah, yes, the mysterious letters that are in, strangely, in Italian. Yes. <laughs> And she doesn't even notice. Mm. Ah, now this is uh, this is Lamberto Barva in the mirror. There, he's he was the first assistant AD on on Tenebrae. Um, of course, Mario Barva's son, um, one of Dario's oldest friends. 
Um, and here he is. Uh, he was about to go from this, in fact, to making uh, uh, Demons with Dario producing. So um, you can see that this, uh, the lineage goes all the way through, doesn't matter. I mean, everybody knows everybody on these movies. I mean, the, the Italian film industry is very, very small. Yeah. And I in learned. fact, the plot of this film requires... Uh, Rome to be a very tiny place <laughs> that where everybody knows each other and wants to kill each other, um, which may also be some kind of comment on the Italian film industry. Mm. I must mention the fact that also when this was when 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 this was first announced, this movie, I mean, the title "Under the Eyes of the Assassin" was always <laughs> um, bandied around. Um, I did see a clapperboard with that title on it. <laughs> But um, I've never ever had that acknowledged as being like the original title. And also, I think Tenebrae would make more sense because of the actual book. I don't think yes. they would have called yeah. the book anything else, would they? No. And I seem to remember, is that one of those things where that... Uh, under the eyes of the assassin, end up being the poster tagline, and is sometimes written in as in, a title. As, as a title, um, as with sub several other Italian films of this vintage. Mm. Um, speaking of titles, I mean, in, of course, in America, Tenebrae was called Unsane. They thought that nobody in America would actually understand what Tenebrae meant—a a typical foreign <laughs> word. But I always remember that even Phenomena had to have its name changed because they thought that the Midwest wouldn't understand what Phenomena meant. Yeah. And of course, in Spain, um, in, in, in Japan, the film was called Shadow, uh, which is quite interesting in the fact that, uh, you know, recently Federico Zampaglione put a movie out called Shadow. And I know that he actually was very much influenced by that, by that title, him being a huge Dario fan yeah. as well. It's entirely possible that that shadow is kind of a, you know, if you take something in darkness, translated into Japanese and then back into English, mm. it may even be quite, uh, quite apt. Also, of course, shadow implies uh, doppelganger, and, and that, again, is part of uh, this film, which includes lots of people who are mistaken for each other. Mm. Um, we should mention the fact that the film was shot um, literally in, like, late spring in 1982. Um, as I said, uh, in in the new areas of Rome, the EUR, which is the very famous uh, construct that was Mussolini built, um, as I said, Casal Poloco, um, the Parioli district as well in Rome is another place that uh, looks a bit more, um, you know, modernistic. So um, all these places uh, were sort of like called into action. I mean, I always think if it had a an old building in it, it was completely out, wasn't it? Mm. This is very much the, you know, the, 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 the design, mm. the designer Italy that we all love. Yeah. And here's John Steiner as the, the first murderer, as it were. Uh, another uh, remarkable and uh, peculiar and strained performance. Uh, uh, you can't even say he's a red herring because he is actually a killer. Mm. Um, but he is acting like a red herring, which may be a double bluff. Uh, mm. He's also uh, um, expressing extremely homophobic sentiments, uh, but his mannerism suggesting that he's giving a gay performance. So, um, but obviously, and of course, again, uh, he's the crazy one in the interview, and the person who's actually insane is sounding really reasonable. <laughs> Uh, John Steiner actually co-starred with Daria Nicolodi, of course, in the last Mario Bava movie, Shock. I mean, I think that that's one of my all-time favourites. Um, Steiner actually gave up acting. He went to L.A. and became a real estate agent. He was English, uh, wasn't he, originally? Yeah. He's in a, a bunch of British films and then 
some peculiar uh, yeah. Italian exploitation type pictures. Well, David Warbeck, um, yeah. you know, one of my oldest friends, used to sort of work with him on this. He used to love him. I never met Steiner myself. He he started out in as one of the cast of Marat Saad, which ah. I think was one of those theatre productions that was then filmed and was very influential, and he got a lot of work off mm. the strength of that. Mm. Uh, he's in Bedazzled, uh, uh, but also I think we love him for stuff like I Don't Want to Be Born, <laughs> Deported Women of the SS, Ooh, yes. Salon Kitty, Your Hunter of the Future, Cut and Run, um, all-round Italian exploitation. Classics, yeah. absolute classics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I suspect he's also one of those British actors who found he was getting a lot of work in Italy and enjoyed the lifestyle. Yes, and then then got bored because he was ending up doing roles like this, basically, yeah. which yeah. are just meaningless. Ah, <laughs> uh, here we go. Um, that's Carola Stegnara, by the way, who plays Altieri. I mean, she actually ended up in opera. She plays Alma's mother um, in opera. So she's... Um, Every now, you know, it's, it's typical of Dario. You know, I quite like you. I'll put you in another movie somewhere down the line. I like her very much in this, although she doesn't have much of a role. Uh, she's one of the people you feel sorry when they die um, because she does actually seem to have a bit of a character going through, whereas some people who have much larger parts don't. Mm. Where's the scar on his face that he actually had from when he was work? He was actually playing in Rome, and, a, and I think a bomb went off, and it actually scarred his face. Uh-huh. And you can actually see that still. He he wore it, or he he never got it fixed. He went through the whole of his career with it. Um, gave him that sort of signature look, I think. Yeah. yeah. Oh, here's the whole yeah. um, explanation about why he... Actually, that's interesting, because he plays the inspector who actually says, makes a big issue out of never guessing who yeah. the murderer is, which is the whole point. Of, of, and, of course, eventually he does. Yeah. Um, I particularly like the moment where he tells Peter Neal he has guessed his latest book. Because Franciosa gives exactly the the look that uh, I've seen other authors do when people say stuff like that. I mean, it is one of those things as a, as a novelist myself. People say things like that. You say, oh, God, do I have to talk about this now? Mm. Um, um, oh, uh, one thing I should mention is that when we get to it, the, the quote from Conan Doyle about uh, eliminating the impossible is misattributed. It's not from The Hound of the Baskervilles. Uh, it's from The Sign of Four. Um, but it makes more sense in terms of this script to be the Hound of the Baskervilles because that's the one which has a, a supernatural seeming mystery that is then oh, resolved. Right. Um, but it's said in a, in a very different context. Uh, but it is the, the most famous bit. It's a very interesting checklist of authors. We get Rex Stout mm. uh, of the Nero Wolf books. Uh, oh, and, and I have to say, again, uh, having written in the, in the 80s, those typewriters were really the absolute top of the line. The fact, <laughs> he has a golf ball with different fonts. Yeah, um, he's, he's writing in Courier rather than Times New Roman. Um, uh, and that... Yeah, shows that this is a man who's got the the best technology for writing available then. About two years later, he'd get a word processor. But <laughs> mm. and Now, that's Jane Maccaro, who does I mean, Veronica Lario's part again, who's supposed to be his fiancée that's actually... who's back in in, uh, in America. There's a misdirection. We, we, seem, we think for a while that she's his ex and he's stalking him. Mm. But then it's explained that they are still in a relationship and, if if anything, he's stalking her, um, which is an odd bit of misdirection and it requires people to do amazingly illogical things all the way, Mm. all the way through.
Um, should mention that, uh, you know, uh, Giuseppe Bazan was the production designer, um, worked with Dario a lot. Um, Davide, his son, actually, was the, his assistant on this, and Davide would go on. And actually still work with Dario. I mean, I th- I mean he did Jallo, mm-hmm. Dario's last film, as we're speaking. Um, will he do Dracula 3D? Who knows? <laughs> um, so... A lot, that, you know, this is the real open spot. I mean, I was trying to place where this street actually was, but um, I usually can tell, but in this case... So, here's a, a fake scare. We don't have many of them in this, but they are necessary to uh, the Diallo, isn't it? The mm. uh, the odd bit of misdirection. That, uh, and again, this even upfronts it in the script, where mm. Peter Neal has a, a, a whole speech about how somebody who should be dead is still alive, somebody who should be alive is still dead, all that kind of stuff, uh, which just ex- shows you how the magic trick works. Mm. Mm. Dario. <laughs> Dear. I mean, when she turned up with uh, Dario for the, for the uh, press junkets here, I remember, and um, I had no idea that they, you know, they, they were on the skids mm-hmm. as a couple, really. Um, as I understand it, I mean, uh, you know, Dario hated the fact that Dario and Anthony Franchosa were getting on like a house on fire. And there's that very famous moment, which a lot of people have told me from this film, where he actually said to Franchosa, look, leave my woman alone. And, uh, you know, Dario would just say, well, you know, what are you talking about? You know, I mean, this was when their relationship was really, really at its mm-hmm. lowest ebb. Um, but, you know, she didn't learn, did she? I mean, the same thing happened on Phenomena. She was dragged into that. Then she was dragged into opera. You'd think that she would have known mm. by that time that, mm. you know, it was all just about, <laughs> you know, the up. Yeah, I would also suspect that Anthony Franciosa, who was well known for being incredibly macho, I believe Shelley Winters told lots of stories about him from when they were married, yes. and was probably a foot taller than Dario Argento, would probably not have taken well to that kind sure. of <laughs> Dario always, has always had terrible problems with his um, leading men for some reason. He's always had fights with them, right, right from Tony Mazzante. And... But it's interesting, the ones he had the biggest fights with are the ones who give the best performances. performances. Interesting, that, yeah. perhaps that's the reason why he does it. It might be method in his madness. Yeah, because quite, um, actually not Mazzante and not Franciosa, but many uh, Argento leading men are a bit on the bland side. Mm. Um, and it almost seems a deliberate choice that he wants people like that. But actually, um, you certainly remember Franciosa more than James Franciscus. Mm. Uh, and here's that wonderful, irrational, evil dog, um, which, I, again, I assume is a reference to the Hound of the Baskerville. Yes, which is the reason, I suppose, why it's actually misappropriated, mm. the, 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 the line, mm. isn't it? Lara Wendell. Yeah. yeah. Uh... Now, this is a bit... I think this is a rather convoluted... Yeah, moment, isn't it? Let's be honest. I mean, oh yeah, uh, the, the 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 mad dog who comes from nowhere chases the uh, the secondary character into the apartment, at the the vast basement of the murderer. The yeah, later on we find that he lives a couple of blocks away. But, yeah. <laughs> but of all the places in Rome that she could run to. She ends up in the house where the murderer lives. Ah, uh, well, that's the beauty of the jolly, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, you know, yeah. the fact that it doesn't really matter mm. about the story in many respects. Yeah. It's all about the the, the visual. Mm. This reminds me a little of the uh, the rats in Central Park scene mm. in Inferno, which is also a moment where um, logic completely disappears from the, the picture. Uh. 
Um, we could say something about the short skirt prurience well, there. Yes, but, there is a quite I, a lot of that. <laughs> but yeah. I don't think... Uh, yeah. Yes, the dog. I notice a lot of people climb over fences in this film as well. Again, that... Uh, <laughs> maybe a, a recurrent theme may have something to do with... Uh, uh, the way the camera is always climbing over things as well. And surely, I mean, wouldn't... I mean, I, there has to be... Knowing Rome as I do, especially these parts, <laughs> I mean, everyone would have security systems in place. I mean, before you know it, lights and spotlights yes. would be going <laughs> off and the police would be there yeah. in a flash, yeah. you know, so... Well, obviously, if you're a murderer, you don't install those things because you don't <laughs> want the police coming around and finding your <laughs> secret stash of crime scene photos. Um... And again, I have to say, this is the most improbably luxurious home for any murderer in anything. Um, it's like, I doubt if Silvio Berlusconi has a house this good. Yeah. Mm. Um, but we're supposed to believe that uh, some guy who has an afternoon television show talking about books does. Um, and is moonlighting as a serial killer. Here's, I mean, I, I do think the soundtrack is absolutely wonderful here. I do think. I mean, I mean Simonetti... <laughs> One of the reasons I love him so much is not because he had anything to do with Goblin, but because he actually was a very good uh, disco music producer. Um, for those of you out there who don't really know that my other love other than Jalo is actually disco, and I'm actually, you know, do, a, do release a lot of disco albums at the moment. But one of the reasons why I wanted to meet Simonetti was because of his disco uh, uh, lineage. And I think here is where it all comes together. I think you can really tell this is like... Um, dance-orientated the, the track, and also this was this soundtrack was often remixed quite a lot and played in the clubs too. So, which and again, Profondo Rosso was after this approved such a hit. So there you go, dog forces are into the the, the lair of the maniac. I should mention that this this house um, that we actually see now is um, the Swedish architect uh, Sandro Petty, um, the architect who actually put Casal Poloco together. Yeah, he has a special credit in the, uh, at the end for the, the use of his house. Was he told what his house would be used for? But they never are, <laughs> yeah. are they? Yeah. I mean, I th actually, I think this is the studio. Mm. This is actually was mm. this was done at the, this section mm. was done at the studio. Yes, because he, they'd never allow all the eventually all mm. the. Ah, uh... oh, now that glass, <laughs> the dog. It is. There is a sort of persistent theme in Italian horror about this time. The animal who never gives up. Mm. Yeah, there's, um, is it the house by the cemetery has the, the, the bat that won't give up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we've seen this in other... Uh, I mean, there's a killer dog in Suspiria as well. But, uh, yes. Here we go. We're supposed to the Italian... I'm surprised at this because usually they do film inserts, don't they, mm, in yeah. English that actually would, um, you know, be put into these particular And they parts. did earlier on, but uh, obviously these would be clips from the Italian papers. So, and yes. I think maybe the... the I love the... the, the 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 letters cut out for the anonymous yes. <laughs> communication. You would do that. You would just yes. do it as you were going oh, yes. through, well, and you wouldn't have a stash. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> for my next anonymous letters. <laughs> yeah. Um, but obviously, a very well prepared murderer. Um, I, I the the way this woman shoves her, her tiny pockets full of mm. <laughs> full of evidence, which she then throws away, mm. um, or indeed throws at the killer as if they're going to hurt him um, is particularly peculiar. Uh, I think 
this, this does fall into that category of horror movie scene where you get frustrated by the way people are acting on screen. Although, um, frankly, under these circumstances, any behavior is, uh, is acceptable. People do really, really stupid things uh, in hysterical moments. However, it just looks so wrong, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um, you have a whole audience full of people saying, get out of there now. Yeah. <laughs> And don't do this strange backing thing. <laughs> yeah, where, where you're not actually, you seem to be looking around, but actually you're backing into a corner, um, allowing the, the murderer to creep up on you. And here, I suppose, is like, well, another major sort of set piece. Uh, it, a bit of a reveal, really, I suppose, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, now look at that. I mean, yeah. how fabulous is this <laughs> Absolutely, house? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you can just see, you know, the you know the design possibilities there, and you know, I, I can see why Dario loved it, I and mean, I really, I really can. This does seem to be, in some ways, a film built around its location. Mm. Um, yeah, houses built for cameras to crawl through, uh, and and the, the sense of design, the sense of space. Um, but it's sometimes, yeah, it takes a certain. Um, quirk as it were to look at a room and say this would be really great for a murder um, this would look great with yeah, a, a, a body outline in it yeah. ah now here we go I mean I, I'm, I'm just wondering if you're supposed to not guess this I mean as you say when you're watching the film again it does become crystal clear what's mm. going on doesn't it mm. I mean I'm, but I, I seem to remember at the time you know being quite fooled by it perhaps you just come well a because more... it's a it, Again, it's actually, this is something Agatha Christie often does. Having two murderers is unfair mm. because you can't guess it. You can take two people at random. It, it was established that the first murder took place when Peter Neal was on a plane, so he couldn't possibly have done it. Mm. Um, it's later established that uh, some of the later murders this guy couldn't possibly have done. No, right. So unless you're sat there thinking, oh, it's got to be two people... Um, you're never going to guess it. That said, I seem to remember I did guess it <laughs> uh, because there are some real um, uh, tip-off bits. Like, you see, the, the girl throwing the photographs at the murderer rather than running away. Um, and Now limping. Yes, and what do you want from me? She's all doing all this uh, yeah, bare feet in barefoot as well. And another attempt to go over a fence, but it doesn't work this time. And uh, here's the... Um, and we've moved to an axe from a razor, so there's a uh, an escalation. Um, it, it's because of this movie that Dario gave me one of the, the, his most widely um, used quotes. I mean, I'll always remember it. I mean, I still see the quote today where it goes about, I mean, I like beautiful girls and women, and if I cut them up, who's, yeah. who cares? I mean, right right up until, I think, last week when I read a review of Amer in America, they actually had used that mm. quote again. Um, it's something that is just amazing to me, that, you know, that, that keeps being requoted. Yes. I think it's a lot to do with Italian uh, culture anyway, the macho culture, mm. but if you still watch their television... I mean, it's very, very sexist, mm -hmm. and I actually think, as as much as Dario has used sort of female killers as men, as much as male killers, um, y there is that sort of thread going through. This his is movies. his most macho film in many ways, isn't it? it? Because you have two male killers, two 
misogynist male killers. There's no way around that. Uh, and it is full of women who are undercharacterized, uh, manip- manipulative, conniving sluts. Even the, the girl who just died, who is the innocent girl, is wearing that short skirt and had that row with her boyfriend on, on the bike, which got her into trouble. If she hadn't had that row, she'd be all right. Um, but I also feel that her her character is a complete cipher. Um, apart from the fact she can do the plumbing, we don't know anything about her until she dies. <laughs> There's Christian Borromeo. I mean, House on the Edge of the Park he was in. And Um, Murder Rock, which I imagine must be your favourite film since it's a giallo and has disco in it. Well, that's where he disappeared after that. (laughs) And frankly, wouldn't you after appearing in that movie? But I mean, no. I mean, again, quite faceless, quite Mm. blank, isn't he? I mean, he's nothing... Um, There's a moment where you think he's going to be the hero, but he isn't. Mm. Yeah, Mm. he is another uh, non-entity. I suppose it's a... uh, yeah, he represents, as it were, bland young man in the way that the uh, the girl who just started was bland young girl. Mm. Um, and he is a plot function. There is a moment where he becomes the viewpoint character, where he is the person trying to remember the vital clue. Um, but that sort of seems that uh, that happens at a, a point in the film where we lose our primary viewpoint character and a whole bunch of other people step up briefly to be mm. the person we think is in charge and then isn't, which I think actually gives the last act of this film a rather disorienting mm. moment. I mean, it is the very... Yeah, Hitchcock was always talking about who do we identify with on screen. And he says one of the, the, the strange things about a psycho is once you've killed Janet Lee, the audience is completely bewildered and looks around for somebody else to latch on to. And I think we do. It's after Peter Neal seems to get on a plane and leave. Mm. We look around for somebody else to be the hero of this film. It's all actually, you know, that, that, that is, I mean, that's a cheat in itself, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's all uh, a cheat. You're not supposed to think that he's having anything to do with it because he actually wasn't in the country when the first victim was murdered. But here we see him starting to think, mm. yeah, uh, because he hasn't yet uh, begun the current series of murders. Uh, yeah, um, here we see the police harassing a lot of people again—a familiar <laughs> Italian sight. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, this is where I think. Now, here's something interesting: um, the guy on the TV there is Marino Massey, and. Strangely enough, he's famous for a lot of things. And he's rescued Barbara Steele at the end of Nightmare Castle. He was also the star of Luigi Cozzi's Contamination. But um, he actually turned up in EastEnders as the Italian uncle of the Italian family. And for those who remember the Nescafe commercials featuring Anthony Head, he was actually the... uh, a character in that as well. So in that very brief scene is a whole amazing... And also, that's another horrifyingly satirical touch. A guy is reporting on a truly disgusting series of mass murders and makes a joke about politicians at the end of it (laughs) with that little humorous uh, local news laugh um, as if he's doing the skateboarding duck feature rather than the gruesome crime feature. Um, I like the the Casata cardigan here. Also, <laughs> it's another another one of the the, the peculiar fashion elements. Mm, well, uh, this is uh, now um, this is interesting. This I mean this this bemused me a lot. This particular scene until I suddenly realised that um, Italy um, still cuts their films in half. 
they always have a, a, a cigarette break, you know, going out for a quick Fine espresso. Primo tento. Yes, that's called, right. Yeah. And this, everyone, was the actual original break for <laughs> that. So when you actually now are moving around the room and focus on this very sharp point, mm-hmm. and everyone kept thinking, well, yes, <laughs> now this was where <laughs> the break occurred. Mm. There you go. And so secondo tempo is now this. Ah. So after 10 minutes of standing outside the cinema, having a quick fag. Yeah. (laughs) Saying, I bet it's John Steiner. (laughs) (laughs) And now here we are. Now this, now this, now here, this sequence to me is, is so ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, if you can't guess, I think the plot from this. I think, for me, the thing that gave it away the first time I saw it was the fact that Peter Neal claims to have been hit on the head with a rock, but you don't see it. And I thought, if someone's going to get hit on the head with a rock in a Dario Argento film, you're going to see it. <laughs> yeah. What's more, there will be a big camera movement up round to the back of his head, and you will then see the rock smashing into it in close-up. Because you don't get that, you um, uh, slightly suspect you haven't been told the truth. Mm. Uh. And as if this, I mean, you know, like the fact that he's so close, I mean, the fact they're working out, mm. creeping around these houses. Yeah. And, and, the, and what's more, the, uh, the famous murderer who's on afternoon television doesn't have an unlisted phone number. Mm. He's actually in the phone book. The uh, special effects, by the way, in this movie were by um, the Corridori brothers. Um, the Corridori brothers are actually, you know, like institutions in uh, Italy, really, because um, before Sergio Stivaletti appeared on the scene, the Corridori brothers actually had the whole industry wrapped up. Um, uh, Giovanni Corridori uh, was actually the supervisor on this film. His brother, Tonino, I don't think had anything to do with it. Um, Their father started the uh, organisation because he was, like, very famous from Ben-Hur and Cleopatra and had actually sort of, like... Uh, done a lot of uh, work on those and actually had built the, you know, the company from there. Um, so it was definitely Giovanni Corridori. In later films I covered with um, the Corridori brothers' credit, um, they were very rarely on set. It was always like their assistants or something, but they would have the Corridori name on the uh, thing. Um, Knights of the Quest, the Pupiavati <laughs> film, I remember I finally met them. Um, but uh, interesting lot. I mean, you know, as, as is typical with uh, most uh, technicians, they don't really think what they're doing is anything special. You know, now this, here we go. Now he really... That was a Corridori speciality, that one. It's a, it's a very, very red blood, isn't it? And again, more breaking glass. Yeah, and Christian Borromeo, that's the, the, the signature scene. Yes. He has to keep going back to the scene to sort of recall something not quite right. But if only he'd been standing like an inch to the left, yeah, he, he would have seen exactly yeah. who it was. Yeah. And now here's the bit that most people find totally ludicrous. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. Say the... Yeah. It's the we're, rock on the head trick. Yeah, we're supposed to believe that he's done it to himself. Hmm. Um, he is also actually whipped out from committing his axe murder, very, very sharpish, uh, to be here. Um, I don't think the geography quite works, but as, as I say, I think when that dog turned up earlier, then we left behind all pretense of uh, logical play it fair who done it type plotting mm. um, and went into um, 
sort of Dario Argento land, yellow land, where um, there's, a, there's a sense that the mystery is almost more symbolic, isn't it? And we, we are literally crawling into the head of Peter Neal now. We're finding out more and more about why he is actually crazy. Because if you watch this now, you can see that Franchosa is playing it slightly sinister. He's, he's actually asking, you know what he saw, not because he wants to know the information, mm. but if he actually was caught out. And I think that's actually quite, yeah, you know, very clever to watch. It's a performance that's very subtle when you watch mm. it back, I think. Yeah, and it's more than he was probably asked to do. Mm. Um, Francio said it's probably worth taking a look at his career. He In the 50s in America, he'd been in a bunch of sort of serious type movies. He's in a Face in the Crowd, Hatful of Rain, Long Hot Summer. But in the 60s, he became one of those smarmy international guys. Mm. He's in the Name of the Game TV series. But he had actually done a bit of Italian horror. He's in uh, Margariti's Web of the Spider, mm. the uh, the remake of um, the, the Barbara Steele movie, Dance Macabre. Mm. Uh, and he'd just come from a Pupiavati film, uh, Help Me Dream. Uh, although I think the thing he made just before this was, in fact, Death Wish 2. <laughs> um, uh, one of several um, yes. mafia-type roles. Let me played. escape to Italy now, yeah. is probably how yeah. he probably thought of that. Um, and he had been in The World is Full of Married Men and uh, Curse of the Black Widow, a particularly crazy TV movie about a woman who turns into a giant spider. Mm. Um, but the thing is, even in films like Curse of the Black Widow, he's still pretty good. I mean, he's as good as he is in... Um, as it were, the more serious films, like when he played Goya in The Naked Maya. Yeah. Um, Dario, Dario always really told me that they would actually he, discuss, um, you know, his film roles what, between setups. I mean, you know, they, they would talk. I mean, he apparently had amazing stories about, you know, the, the Hollywood years of the 50s and stuff. So, you know, they, they, they really did get on well. I think, they, well, they had to, to be able to do this. Now, I think this is the famous scene where Dario freaked out and said mm -hmm. that he was putting too much sort of like emotion and <laughs> realism into the scene. I mean... Yeah. Um, but it is also in interesting that just after committing his first murder in several years, that's when he starts to get horny again, which is <laughs> really kind of creepy. Uh, and now, the guy in the black, in the blue jacket there, obviously, is Michele Suave, who would go on to direct uh, The Sect and uh, The Church and Delamorte Delamore, the first two for Dario. Mm -hmm. Um, he was the second assistant director on this. Um, and, of course, famously, he actually, I think, directed uh, one of the uh, rock videos for, for, for this, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's, uh, but he was actually quite established as an actor. So mm. uh, this is obviously the, the AD just putting his face on screen rather mm. than playing a role. He had he, a much bigger parts in other... He did. He, actually, he also yeah. is the um, the motor the motorcyclist. I think. Who yes, I thought so too. Gives Lara Wendell is that, a lift. I assume that's another uh, unintentional doubling because it's obviously very much yeah. the case of just getting somebody on screen. And also, that was a moment that played fair in that we saw Peter Neal just before that flashback, mm. which kind of assigns it to him as opposed to the now dead main killer or previous killer. Mm. I mean, McKayley was um, always fancied himself as, as a James Dean character anyway, so the whole bit with the bike, I can yeah, just Did imagine. he do his own wheelie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, probably, knowing him, probably yeah. he did. Yeah. Now, here's, here's another sort of like very 
silly red herring, don't you think <laughs> <Yeah>. all this? <laughs> I mean, because, I mean, the whole point about the Christian Borromeo's <laughs> character to me <laughs> is the fact that you, you get a vague impression that John Saxton's supposed to be his boyfriend. <laughs> I always thought yeah. that from that very early on. And so that's supposed to sort of, you know, take you away from the fact that the rev- the revelation coming yeah. up that in fact he's actually yeah. having an affair with Peter Neal's yeah. fiance. Yeah, and yet he's trying to persuade him to stay in town when it would actually be in his interest for um, the, the the official boyfriend to be somewhere else. Mm. Um, and this whole thing about a whole hanging around waiting for the deal to be signed <laughs> uh, sure. uh, is again. Ludicrous, and as as you and I both know, Kim, because we've had actually books published in Italy, (laughs) we have we we have been so shamelessly ripped off. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, Uh, I, I, yeah, (laughs) we don't let's even get started. That's right. I was about to tell some anecdotes, and then I realised that actually I probably wouldn't want these on the record. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, but, um, mm. yeah. but I mean, good old Peter Neal for getting a fantastic deal, deal. in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> good luck to uh, him. Now, this is weird. Didn't you always find that this video monitor mm. of the secretary was very strange? Yeah, I always thought I, that was peculiar. It, 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 I suppose it is. it relates to that this is supposed to be set slightly in the future yeah. thing, which... You don't actually get any other kind of gadgetry. There were a couple of other GLE at the time that did something sort of similar, didn't they? That mm. had science fictional elements to them to uh usually involving uh you know that machine that reads Ooh, here eyeballs. we go here's the, here's the shock horror yes. Silvio yeah. berlusconi's missus is really having an affair with john saxon yeah and and, and wearing the disguised sunglasses which oh, this don't is, my, now this, is this my favorite line where she says that i feel so sleazy i love this because <laughs> the way she says it it's just yeah. so brilliant yeah. <laughs> oh no it's yes. Oh, here we go. <laughs> that always makes me yeah. laugh. No, uh, really. Not much of an actress, but she was incredibly beautiful. I she think was. Is, no, she yeah. was. I mean, she. I mean, this was it. Once she married Berlusconi, that was the end of it. And the reason why you actually can't see the film in Italy still, really, because, you know, once, once, once she got... You know, married. He took all prints of this off. You couldn't see this on television. Um, it wouldn't be allowed to be shown on any of the channels um, because of the way she dies. I think more than anything else, yeah. not because of the way she looks. But you know, really, really quite incredible. Darry always said to me about the futuristic side of it. By the way, that he he always um, envisioned this uh, story to take place in a Rome that was like slightly emptier than most. I mean, mm. most of us know it from like the tourist hustle and mm. bustle, you know, it's mm. always packed, isn't it? Mm. Um, this he wanted to have um, less people around. Oh, here's the... Great Italian driving. The yeah. Italian driving scene, yes. Yeah. Which is actually is a good reason for him to get out and walk, yes. really. Yeah. And there's, you know, there is uh, anyone who's driven through Rome, especially on a Vespa. Yeah. Dear, oh dear. I mean, Dario's um, PA for years, Carla... Um, would actually drive me to the office on her Vespa. And frankly, I was terrified <laughs> every time that we went there. Um, so, yeah. No, but that's the reason. I mean, yeah. There's no one around, mm-hmm. and that's how he sees the future, you know, yeah. like a less densely populated. Yeah. And everybody who's around is rich. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's very much that, yeah. isn't it? I mean, as much as Daria sort of like, well, didn't really like working on this movie. I mean, even she told me, I mean, very recently, that she thinks it's one of his finest movies. And I, I do think it is, in a way. I mean, when I, looked, when, I, when I look at it now, I mean, in 
from a distance. I think it actually, you know, comes quite neatly in, in his canon, don't you think? Yeah, Before I, the next wave. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and the next wave is when we um, start having problems with his work, mm. I think, uh, in that there is it, this is almost a culmination of both phases of his, his career, the yellow phase and the, the more supernatural horror phase. Um, I don't think it's true that he's been, like, repeating himself ever since, but he has made films that we like a lot less than this, mm, mm. mostly. I mean, I mean this uh, is the, it's the last sort of uh, Argento film that all his fans agree on, yes. as it were. There are people who will make cases for opera or the Stendhal syndrome uh, as being yeah, more interesting than some of the others. But there are a couple of other ones in there, like Yellow, in fact, or indeed the Phantom of the Opera, uh, that none of us really warm to. Mm. Mm. No, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing. I, I mean, his, his, his career is yeah, quite interesting. Good inter- shot of his scar there. <laughs> oh, yes, you could. Uh, yeah. Yes, there, there it is. is. Absolutely. That's what you can see. But no, I mean, he was... This was a huge hit. I mean, you've got to remember that this... Um, I mean, it opened theatrically, which is rare. I mean, Creepers or Phenomena did afterwards, but that was it yeah. as far as uh, Dario's films were and in this Phenomena country. Phenomena didn't open for a year after we'd seen it. And if you remember, we went to the premiere of... Because it was the English-language version of it yes, that showed at true. the Scala, and it just got laughter all the way through. I remember the line, I must join my regiment at dawn, uh, in particular. Uh, whereas... There are moments in this that are funny, and there are moments that are deliberately funny, and there are moments that are just peculiar. But it's all a part of the magic. You're very rarely kicked out of it. Whereas I think in most subsequent Argento films, there have been moments where the audience, kind of the spell is broken, where the magic trick seems to not work as well, where you're not drawn into his world in such a way that you can't at some point say, oh, no, that's ridiculous. I remember the first time I saw this, I didn't even mind the girl being chased into the murderer's basement. Uh, That seemed entirely natural and a thing that would happen. However, in subsequent Argento films, uh, the you know the the rampage of the chimpanzee with the, the razor blade, or that long speech about lizards at the end of opera, uh, or yeah, all of trauma have been moments where you think, is this the same man? Does he re- yeah? Is he surrounded by people who aren't telling him people will laugh? Mm. Well, here we're moving into the main section of I mean the main the, the whole overextended finale now yes. aren't we yeah. I mean here's... which becomes very complicated as well yes. as to, you have to work out who's where uh, but again you were told you would have to mm. uh, and we hear the first glimpse of that peculiar piece of sculpture uh, which is a shout back to uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage um, but it's almost like an ultimate version of dangerous art. I mean, again, <laughs> it's, it, it is, uh, yeah, it's literally the theme of this film is art that kills people. Yeah. And there it is, uh, art that will become, yeah, essentially a murder weapon. Mm. And it's interesting the fact that Peter Neal is another writer in Rome, mm. you know, yes. I mean, following that yeah. thematic through as well. Although, I mean, of course, Sam in Bird with the Crystal Plumage is the writer who's a detective. Here we have the writer who's a killer. Mm. And there is a sense that Argento is addressing his own public image, the notion that somebody who creates these films must be sick and demented. It's almost like the uh, the inside joke of this is, well, what if I was? Mm. You know, what if I were a murderer as well as a filmmaker? Here's uh, the giveaway. I mean, yes. you know. Now, this is uh, Casal Poloco's, um, you know, main shopping area. 
Um, my best friend, Mark Ashworth, who I actually, uh, you know, did an eye for horror with, um, used to live around the corner from here, and he actually mainly got the apartment just so he could overlook the location where John Saxon gets killed in this, is in this a, section. Is, is there a plaque on the, on the stone <laughs> yeah. bench? You know, uh, it, I mean, it's a particularly good sequence, and, and actually it's very good about that you're stuck in a foreign city meeting someone, you sit there and just watch people. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's again. It's one of the the scenes around which this film is is based. You see the 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 fight breaking out there, and there are some punks looking silly, and there's a, a, mm. a kid being annoying. Um, this is quite Hitchcockian, I think, as well, isn't oh, it? This yeah. is the Hitchcockian, yeah. most Hitchcockian part of the mm-hmm. film, I think. Um, you know, yeah. It reminds me a little of the the bit in the birds of mm. Tippy Hedren sat outside so. the, the schoolhouse, isn't it? The uh, waiting for something to happen. Who wears a hat? Even back then, who would <laughs> well, have worn actually, this hat? Well, I do, but yeah. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't wear a hat like that. Um, so, yes, I mean, so this is sort of supposed... I mean, the fact that they wouldn't have watched... I suppose this is the whole point of it, isn't it? That, that a, a, a gruesome murder can happen right before mm. everyone's eyes and you yeah. don't even know. As real violence actually mm. would. I mean, we're all yeah. so used to sort of, like, mm. uh, cinematic violence. But if something actually happens for real in front of you, mm-hmm. it is really... You'd, yeah. you, you wouldn't notice it, no, I don't think, that no, much. I, I did once see somebody who'd been stabbed at Birmingham New Street Station. It ah. just looked like a guy lying on the ground with a few yeah. people standing around him. Only later was I told it was a murder. Um, but no, this, this woman who's really upset from the breakup with the, the guy... Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, here we go. The recognition oh, in yes. his face. It's, it's he that, knows, you know, yeah, there's yeah. the hat. Yeah. All that with the hat was finally just to do that yeah. one shot. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. you know, it's just... Uh, yeah. Ooh, what's that? The man bag on the yeah. side. Um, as if she wasn't sort of distraught enough, this woman, <laughs> yeah. by being dumped by her boyfriend. The worst day ever, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the red shoes. Now, that to me was always the, the clue on what was actually going on, because who would actually be sending those shoes anyway? Yes, you know? yeah. So you think, well, it can't be John Steiner, because he's yeah, dead. He's dead, yeah. You know, so uh, there you are. Now, here's, um, here's the other little <laughs> red herring. I'm off to New York. Yes. You know, let's underline that <laughs> yeah. fact. Even so though I'm know. the leading character in this film and things are about to get interesting, I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean, you know, once you know it's Teresa Russell, you can really hear Yes, it, absolutely, I, yeah. Really uh, the Tambra. Yeah. I don't know why she did it. Was she down on her luck? I mean, she was actually with Nick Rowe. Yeah, no, she, I mean, she just she? made uh, Bad Timing, which yes. is probably her best part ever yeah um she's probably filling in just yeah. thinking oh, i'll just do this no as usual they all think oh no one's gonna know <laughs> yes, that i've exactly. done this yeah you know. um i don't know she may also have liked it i don't know yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's true um i'm sure nick rogue would have be able to tell her that dario argento is an interesting filmmaker sure i mean you know the whole... uh, there we go and who knows maybe she owed robert rietti a favor yes there is that um, I mean, I mean, there is a reason why Nick Alexander didn't dub this. I'm trying to remember what it was. We all should have an assistant like yes, this when we go yeah. over. Yeah. I mean, so many assistants. Well, yeah. He is supposed to be a best-selling writer. I'm not quite sure who he could be as a writer. There mm. weren't really big best-selling whodunit writers in the 80s. He's not really a Stephen King-type writer, mm. is he? Um, he's supposed to write um, what later on would be sort of Thomas Harris type books, I mm. suppose. 
Um, but although Harris had published then, he wasn't as big as he would later be. Um, so he is very much, basically, he is what if Dario Argento were a novelist rather than a filmmaker. Um, and, that, and we had that wonderful irrelevant shot of the plane leaving. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. And, Just and to fix in your mind picture, that, yeah. that we think that yeah. Peter, Peter Neal has actually vanished. Yeah. But then surely, I mean, if he hadn't got on the plane, wouldn't somebody be saying, hang on a minute, this yeah. booking, he hasn't got <laughs> on the plane. Right. Where is this man <laughs> calling yeah. Peter Neal? Yeah. You know, so, right. hey. Well, and, and more climbing over a fence and another key being taken um, and somebody else wearing the black gloves. Mm. So we are back on the, the doubling theme that... that comes around and it's this peculiar notion that you have to go back to the scene of the crime actually, where yeah. incidentally all those policemen didn't find the murder weapon which is hidden in a tree um, <laughs> <laughs> yes masked very yeah. artfully yeah. by yeah. some ivy or whatever yes, it is isn't it lurking there. Uh, but then again the police investigation in Yali is almost the standing joke it's as, as to how inept they are mm. isn't it yes but, which is uh, why when Daria decided to do the Il Cartaio based around police procedurals it didn't really quite work no, really. yeah I mean, here's, um, all right, now, you know, here's the fatal flashback. I killed them, and he killed them. That voice, yeah. I mean, it's almost so weird, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's like... The disembodied, like, craziness of it all. I mean, the... I assume it is John Steiner's voice. But, um, but hey, it could easily be David Graham again doing yes. a slightly higher-pitched voice. Um, and the rain, which comes from nowhere, um, which now dominates the whole rest of this, this film. We're back in... Uh, you know, Suspiria started in the rain. This mm. ends in the rain, is mm. it? Uh, here we, um, yes, having seen how Dario does rainfall in movies, and believe me, I mean, there's all around this car, there would have been like, like watering can arrangements where you know, which would just like sprayed the water everywhere, really like teeming it down because filming rain is like virtually impossible unless it's almost like a flood. I like this scene where he yeah. has to, he has to be forced round to know who it is yeah. who's killing him. But he, but we don't get. That. Yes, I think that's yeah, quite and, an interesting and, and little there's a little of bit of drool out of his mouth or rain from his face as he dies. Mm. Um, and there's... there's you're right. I mean, axe. how how obvious yeah. is that axe? <laughs> the murder weapon. Yep. And yes. And now mm. this is where... Derry, I think... I mean, when you look at her performance, I mean, you know, anybody could have done this well, really, apart yeah. from when it gets to the end, I think. And now this is where, you know, like, Daria's character sort of, like, gets a bit sinister, so you're supposed to think, hang on yeah. a minute, it might be her yes. now. Yes, yeah. Um, know, because so. we have... I mean, it is a, a red-herring thing. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a contrast with her performance in Deep Red, which is completely engaged and charming and interesting... Whereas here, she is, yeah, there. That's it. Well, yeah. well she yeah. always said that you could chart their relationship, you know, through the films, you know. In Deep Red, it's all light and airy and fabulous, and then it's, like, downhill. Um, 
Arrivo, mi ci vorrà mezz'ora. Yeah. Now this, this was the uh, the sequence coming up that actually was 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 vaguely cut. Oh yes, here's the uh, the unusual house. That's right. She only speaks Spanish. Yeah, and I, I love this. It's almost like those scenes in Mother of Tears, you know, yeah. where Rome's going to hell. Yeah. There's all these little bits of we like, have, action. We've seen little skirmishes in the background all the way through this, people having arguments. Again, very Italian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, this is the housemaid being, you know, like, quizzed about what's going on. And now, I mean, it, it, it should all be sort of coming into focus, shouldn't it? <laughs> Yes, I mean, uh, Bulmer. What <laughs> that? I mean, where does he get these names well, from? Well, Bulmer, is, there's, there was a British science fiction author called Ken Bulmer around this, this time. He may well have just taken it off the, yeah. um, the paperback racks. Certainly, I've done that in, in you know, coming up with character mm. names. I mean, Altieri. Yeah. I mean, you know, all the names. Yeah. I mean, the Caro this... strikes me as a made-up name. Yes, that's yeah. not very good, yeah. is it? I mean... Mm-hmm. Waiting with the gun. Yes. Tiene algo del señor Bulmer? Sí. Strange. Yeah. I'm trying to think if this would actually be the set, or would that, they would probably have used um, some sort of police station for this yeah. it doesn't look i mean I, I mean although it was an expensive film to make i don't think they would have actually built this Hasta luego. i think you know dario is mainly a, a, a location mm. person and this because this looks way too doesn't it yeah but it could almost be a, a bus station or something yeah you put some chairs and a desk yeah yeah uh, now here's the i mean I, i've got production stills from this because the corridori brothers gave me these i mean this is where the 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 arm um, looks very overextended, I think, when you actually see yeah. it. Um, it's it's such a shocking sequence, you don't notice it the first time around, but when you watch it again, you can see the arm strapped under yes. her blouse. Uh, he made um, Veronica do this scene, I think, about eight times and, and, and still wasn't very happy with it. And then I remember he coaxed the Corridori, um, Giovanni Corridori, to actually putting... Um, a huge sort of uh, explosive squib in her arm prosthetic, which actually nearly blew her arm off, and you know, but it got the the fabulous yeah, effect yeah. that that he actually wanted. Here we go. I mean, you can actually see that. I think. Yeah. Where you yeah. can see. Uh, uh, and this is that's where the yeah. the the uh, the pump is just yeah. going crazy. That's the scene that's actually more or less cut in a lot of the uh, early yeah. British versions. And here she. I mean, this again. This goes back to what you were saying about you know Jack the Dripper. I mean, yeah. the, the, <laughs> the you know the art, art Italian art. Yeah. All Italian art is violence based, mm. and I think yeah. that's really good. Um, these are particularly disturbing. I think mm. those two. Those yeah. two. Again, picks. it's not very long. Mm. It's not extended and drawn out, and it is basically the papering the wall with with blood yes. sequence is the the shock. And I say, notice those Rhode Island palm trees in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No, um, and this is where, uh, well, this this all keys now into to the to the, the major explanation. Mm. I, one of the things that, that again strikes you only after you've seen this that if in the real world there were a best-selling crime writer who had a violent murder in their background that they were suspected of. 
Wouldn't that be in all the publicity mm. in the way that, uh, you know, James Elroy has, has uh, written a lot about the murder of his mother or, um, you know, Anne Perry uh, is, is remembered for being that woman in Heavenly Creatures. <laughs> yeah, mm. it would actually almost be the publicity campaign you'd, you'd build your... Uh, your thriller writer about that he was once suspected of a murder. And uh, here's yeah. your doppelganger, because yeah. this is where you're supposed to think this is, um, you know, Daria Nicolodi, and it's yeah. not, of course, it's the policewoman. Yeah. Um, and now, I mean, here's the, well, basically... The reveal, yeah. We There's something about those corduroy trousers we suspect, isn't it? Yes, yeah. and, you know, the pan upwards, yeah. and no surprise that... No, it's partly no surprise because everybody else is dead. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but, you know, I mean, I, I remember being yeah. quite, uh, you know, taken aback mm. uh, at when this Yes, I, I had twigged it. I think there's a quite, there is a nice moment there where it looks like he's committed all these murders so he can be with a woman he's just accidentally killed. Mm. Um. All the blood around here, I mean, everyone was slipping up in it at this point in time, I think. <laughs> Right. Yes, and now... Yeah. And now there's some explanation. You're not some people. You're not some people, come here. And literally, Dari yeah. just stands there now, doesn't she? Yeah, doesn't, that's she, right. She doesn't move. All she does is, is the strange hand movements and screaming. But yet, she is, char- she is the character in this scene that we now identify with. Mm. Because the person we thought was the, the leading man is... The is is the monster, uh, and he does a, a a slightly true to histrionic method mad scene here. But then later on, you realise he was faking. So it's all right that he's overacting. Mm. It's actually a thought through performance, and that I think is what really impresses me about Franchiosa's work. It is he has actually thought about this thing, and mm. he is trying to make these unbelievable plot and character developments work. Yeah, he's certainly given it a, a lot more, you know, than most other actors would. Would have, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen so many actors in Dario's movies just sort of, like, phone in the performance. Mm. Because after a while, they, they start thinking, I've just read the script and it looks ridiculous. This is going to be silly because they don't know what it's going to look like when the film comes out. Mm. Uh, and they don't realise... I mean, you think some of these people should at least have looked at his earlier films, but no, they tend not to. And this is where he says <laughs> the Conan Doyle line again. Yeah. Yeah. The improbable. Yeah. And we have and we have a great uh, <laughs> monologue about, <laughs> to explain the plot for those of you who are still trying to catch up. <laughs> I don't. Was this the last time Argento really cared about the whodunit aspect? Because his subsequent jelly, they're all over the place, aren't they? They are. Well, I, I I love opera. I mean, I have to say, and yeah, I but think opera, that really if you remember, works. is the film where, in the end, it turned the killer turns out to be somebody who couldn't possibly have been the killer no, because that. he would have been three when the first murder is committed because no, they cast an actor who's too young for the part. Um, but obviously, he just didn't mind that, and all the other subsequent Jali don't have the lip service to credibility or trying to make all the mm. the pieces add together at the end. Mm. Um. Darius films are always like a cut above the other, you know, Jali productions. Mm-hmm. And I just think that this uh, this is one of the reasons why. But I mean, you know, because nobody really cares. I mean, when you think of the some of the other movies in this in this line. Oh, now here we go. 
and he's carried a prop razor with him just in case this happens. <laughs> in case he needs to fake his own death. Yes. But no, I mean, you know, I mean, I, th I think this is a pretty well sustained climax. Yeah, no. mean, because now you think it's all over, but it actually isn't. It's going to go yeah. on a bit more. But I mean, uh, I mean, you know, when I look at the other Jalo movies, I, I do think this actually is is is, is more thought out than, than than most of them, especially like the, from the golden era, the golden period. Now, what? This is just something not quite right about. Yeah. White. But also the, the theme rises as if it's going to be an end credits theme, isn't yes. it? Yeah. But no, there's just one more, or several more actually, but Peter. Peter. It's not possible. Yeah. And we do have to wonder what this woman's re the rest of her life is gonna be like after having been through this. Well, you know, there is talk at the moment of remaking this, you know. Yes. Um uh, I'd be interested to see how far that actually goes. It's a difficult one to remake because, again, it's a mystery. Um, and so, basically, you have to make it for an audience who haven't seen the old film. Mm. Uh, or else, what's the point? Mm. Um, and, and even more so, if it really is going to be made by an American company, again, they won't use the title Tenebrae, will no. they? So, you know, so if they're using this as a template, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. Do you think it's been an influential film? Are there subsequent Yali that, that borrow from this? Uh, well, I mean, I think we're coming up actually to one of the major shocks that, uh, that uh, I'd never seen up until this point, and yet I've seen since, and of course Dario's reused it. But I think he used it in Sleepless, didn't he, as well, this one. Um, which always, I thought it was so obvious, I couldn't believe no one had ever done it before. Um, we're about to see that. Um, after this explanation about the Rhode Island girlfriend yeah. <laughs> who sort of like spurned him and that's the reason why he sort of like feels so... He's now a maniac. Yeah, sexually <laughs> inadequate. Yeah. Um, but this is... Uh, no, this is the final coda. This is the final twist in the tale. I mean... The, uh, the, uh, the joke shop... Razor, of course, is uh, easily available oh. <laughs> at uh, probably at uh, Dario's own shop, Fondo well, Rosso yes, in well, Rome. I hope so. <laughs> they should market these things. Yeah. yeah so mm -hmm. you're right. I mean, he must have. Uh, you know, it, it all shows a sort of a certain pre-planning. Yeah. I love this. This overdone, yes. isn't it? It's like, like, yeah. no, you can't just see the fact that it's not really. Yeah. At, you have to be shown the <laughs> yeah. mechanics of it. It's like the Italians don't trust you to actually mm. put the two yeah. points together. Yeah. Now this is the this is one of the scene. This is the scene. Uh, yeah. You can almost you can almost see his ear behind yeah. him there. Yeah, but also, Giovanni Gemma was just looking at where he was standing. Yeah. Right, where was he? But that it, yeah. that was quite, no, that's a good. A that good was shot. quite a yeah. shock at the time, and I have seen it subsequently <laughs> in a million things. There you go. The the, the, the mannequin doll substituting our our art. Yeah. The art as a dangerous the, the dead, weapon. The deadly soldier. Which uh was it it's Kenneth Branagh's movie, Dead Again, just imitates entirely this bit with the killer sculpture yes, at the end. It does. To the point you and it's sort of bizarre to think that Kenneth Branagh even saw this film. But he plainly did, um, because it is shot for shot. It's Derek Jacobi in that, who, who dies in exactly the same way. 
uh, that Franciosa is about to get his. Uh, oh, there you go. I mean, it's it's. Uh, Arzia Argento, their daughter, always told me that this was the scene that made her want to become an actress. She, <laughs> just, she just loved her mother in this. Yeah. Um, the, her, she just couldn't believe how. Yeah. The screaming uh, her mother just did sustained it all the way through, and she thought, "Wow, that's what I want to do." But and Dari always told me that this scene was the easiest one for her to do yeah. because she was just so frustrated by the whole, you know, making the film. The way Dario was to her, she just sort of let it all out, and I think it's almost like cathartic for her as well. And you can really tell that she just non-stop. I wonder how long they she just went on because it and goes on. over the end credits too. Yeah. So, do we have any uh, final thoughts about? Well, uh, I, I like I like it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's one of my favourites. I mean, it, I mean, you know, <laughs> opera, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Deep Red. It's up there with those, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about his Jello. I'm not talking about the supernatural movies. But I mean, I mean, I like it. I mean. It's certainly a film that one can watch again and again with pleasure. Uh, I I think there are elements that have dated or have been imitated too much that we go back to and there is a I, I think it has a streak of playfulness which I uh, appreciate I think it takes the edge of some of the the wilder and crazier and sillier notions mm. um, but I think we can say that this is yeah the last truly great Argento yes. movie no definitely I mean again I mean opera for me is just a masterpiece I just love that but then that was one of the one of the films that I actually was on the set of all the way through. I mean, I only got to know Dario because of this. I mean, when they arrived in, you know, the film had been done and dusted, but I actually, you know, got to know everything about the film because I was just taking them around to various sort of interviews. So I heard everything practically. Elios Studios, Rome, which is very unusual because he would usually film at Interpaulis. Mm-hmm. Uh, unit publicist, you know, Enrico Lucarini. Um, I shouldn't say the connection there with Visconti, but I think <laughs> if you know you Visconti, you can guess. Um, no, I mean, you know, a pleasure to sort of watch and to comment on again, really. Absolutely. Isn't it? And so that's goodbye from us. <laughs>